following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's bow our hearts in prayer, and then we'll dive into the Word together. Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your pursuit and your 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 passion for your people, for your, as we read last week, that you are jealous for the spirit that you have made to dwell in us, that, that, it's, uh, that you desire that we would love you the way that you love us, and that this is, this is the catalyst of our, our, our own healing, that as we, as we come to know your love and, uh, and experience that firsthand uh, and love you back through life and love and service and giving and obedience, Lord, we, we come to know just the, the refreshment of your presence. Uh, your love is truly better than life. And Lord, I pray that your word would seed hearts with truth and understanding that we would truly build our house upon the rock by putting these things into practice, not just being hearers of the word, uh, only and so deceiving ourselves, but uh, but doing it. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom that we're so desperate for to put this truth into practical uh, use, um, obedience, uh, so that you might uh, manifest your your power and uh, through our life, Lord. Teach us today, open our minds and hearts to, to your word. This is such a practical teaching. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing in your sight, acknowledging that you alone are our rock and our redeemer, Lord, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I want to kind of segue from last year. John did a marvelous job of uh, bringing Dwell back to our attention last Sunday. Uh, we endeavor at the end of each month to focus on our theme for the year, and, and Dwell is that theme for this year. And uh, last week we looked at uh, the, uh, the ESV uh, kind of titles that text as a warning against worldliness. Um, the NIV kind of says that, uh, that this is the challenge is to submit to God. This is the antidote uh, to worldliness. Um, we, we know that, um, that we have desires that are often at war with God's will, uh, God's way, um, God's word, and, uh, and bringing those things into submission, as it says in the passage in James chapter 4, you know, submit ourselves to God, right? Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then we see this, this piece on uh, what submission and, and confession and repentance truly looks like, and it requires a humble heart. And I bring that back to our attention because um, we're called to be in a world, but not of the world. Um, and that, is that challenging at times? Right? I mean, the, the context of our, uh, our surroundings often beckons uh, our, um, you know, our, our lives to kind of follow and to, and to dive in. And it, and it really segues into this week's passage. You know, we're going to look at covetousness and greed um, as, uh, as, as something that distracts us from being rich towards, towards God. But before we move on, I, I really I want to use a quick illustration to highlight such a marvelous message that John gave last week and just reinforce and tie it into this week's message is uh, how many of you have a cell phone, right? I mean, we all, we all have a cell phone. And, and uh, you know, 
I'm sure you have a discipline of some kind to keep that cell phone charged. Everybody have a discipline? Uh, that, you know, for me, it's I plug it in when I go to bed and I unplug it when I wake up and typically I see this 100% thing and then we're good for the day, right? Um, and, but if, if that doesn't take place, then I'm without this resource that, that helps me to connect and do other things. And, and if we go to such, I mean, are you guys pretty diligent uh, at making sure you do that? Uh, does that require some intentionality? some discipline and consistency in order to maintain that full battery. You know, and you can, you can see where I'm going with this. How much more important is that we charge our soul, that we stay connected to, to the Lord? Like, how, how much more important is it that we have disciplines and consistencies and intentionalities in those areas where we, as John said probably 10 times last week, guard your prayer time with the Lord? Like, Guard our dwell time with him because apart from him, we can do nothing and we've got to stay connected. And, and, uh, and really, you know, in, in marriage conferences, they'll say, how do you spell love? And it's T-I-M-E, right? Like where we spend our time really kind of state, especially our discretionary time says a lot about our priorities and what we're really what we really love and what we're really passionate about. And so, man, I just want to challenge you. Be, be intentional. Be disciplined. Be consistent in plugging in, spending time with the Lord in his word, on your knees, in prayer. He's, man, he's got so much he wants to impart to you. His word is basically his heart wanting to be unfolded into our lives to show us these aren't, these aren't rules. These are, these are loving precepts that are meant to lead you into the life that I long for you to have, that I purchased for you through sacrifice. Um, does that make sense? And so as intentional, I mean, you know, I like to, I like to, I, I, I was talking to, to Brian, the other, we were at men's breakfast, I think, and, and I had used an illustration about washing dishes you know, in a previous message. And he's like, man, I was washing the dishes the other day and I was thinking about that principle. Like, I just, and that's what Jesus did, right? He tied, like, common things in life to biblical principles so that we would always ideally be reminded of those principles. And so, folks, every time you plug, beloved, every time you plug your cell phone in, which I'm sure is often, be reminded that the greater need of our soul and life is to plug into the creator, the lover of our souls, the one that has so much that he wants to give and impart to us, to train us in righteousness, to, to give us his heart, intentionality, his mission, his purpose, so that, uh, so, that, uh, so that our lives might truly be abundant, not in the things of this world, but in him. Like that's what he wants to give us more of. Right? The, the world is beckoning us to more of a lot of things, but what we desperately need is more of him. Amen? Amen. So I, I'm super excited to jump into this message, and, and, and oftentimes I get into like talking about the principles that are, that are here, and, uh, but I want to read the text first because you need to know what we're talking about here, right? So, um, so let's, uh, let's dive in here. Um, and ask this question. Here's the question of the morning. There's going to be several. I'm going to ask a lot of questions today that are meant to be introspective. 
uh, many that are rhetorical because I just want you to investigate your own heart and listen to the Holy Spirit and let him kind of unpack you. Um, listen, I'm not the teacher this morning, right? We, we've been given a counselor, a teacher, a helper that knows your heart uniquely and specifically, and he's got something very, very specific for you this morning. Um, this, this text is really a warning against greed and covetousness. And, and maybe that word covet, coveting or covetousness is, is foreign to you. We're going to unpack that and talk about that. But this is a danger, and our culture is immersed in it, right? We're probably the, the, the most, I don't want to say that, but, but, but here's, here's the question that we're going to really look at this morning. What does it mean, as we end this passage in verse 21, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Have you thought about that? Like, what does it mean to use the things that I would potentially treasure to, to enrich, to be rich towards him? And, um, and that's what we're after this morning. So just for the sake of context, because context is always critical, uh, we got to remember there's been thousands of people at this particular juncture in Jesus' mission and ministry and life there's been thousands of people that have just been coming, mostly out of curiosity. Um, a lot of them are just looking for him to kind of fix their world. Um, some of them just want to see a miracle. Some of them are desperate need of one. Um, but thousands have come, and Jesus has been speaking in the area of injustice, justice, um, using, targeting in, in some cases, the, the Pharisees and their approach to things. And, uh, and so this guy thinks that this is the ideal time to kind of, in, in, a, in a kind of an interruptive way, to kind of get his problem solved and bring this issue that's going on between him and his brother um, to a rabbi, to Jesus specifically. And, uh, and he makes a demand, public demand of Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus, like he does with, as the Holy Spirit does with us, Jesus doesn't even seem to answer that question specifically. He seems to deal with his heart. Which, guys, if we really, that's really where the problem lies, right? Oftentimes, it's, it's not the circumstances that's the problem. It's our own hearts that are, that are contributing and maintaining that problem. Um, and there can be a totally different approach. So my thoughts uh, of context were this. Jesus has been dealing with a la uh, the lack of injustice and, and generosity, and someone in the crowd sees this opportunity to petition Jesus for his influence in a personal matter. Uh, as usual, his response is not what the person expected. Uh, our desires often reveal our hearts. Is that not true? right? Our desires, as John talked about last week, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your own desires that are at war within you? You fight and quarrel, you, 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 you want, you don't get, so you kill, murder, covet. Um, and that's really what we're looking at today. So follow with me. We're, we're continuing in our journey through Luke uh, we're in the, the 12th chapter, picking up in verse 13, going through th th verse 21. And, uh, and this is the event that takes place in the life and ministry of Jesus uh, here in this moment. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell, <laughs> I, I just, it, just it, it rubs me wrong. 
that, that he's making a demand of God here. You know, like, you know who you were talking to? Like, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care. Now, them being the crowd again, he turns his attention back to the crowd. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he uses a parable. Uh, an ideal story to illustrate a heavenly principle in verses 16 to 19 and says this, and he told them a parable saying, a land, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, uh, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who has laid who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So let me, let me ask you some questions to help kind of dig into kind of our, our own hearts. Now remember the soil that we're digging into is really our hearts. And the goal here is that we would plant these beautiful truths deep within our hearts that we would not be like, and, and John referred to this last week in Luke, you know, we have three synoptic gospels that point out the parable of the soils. And in Luke, we're told, I believe it's chapter 8, it says, you know, that the worries of this world, the deception of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure does what to the good seed? Chokes it. It says, chokes it out and renders it fruitless. Like, man, God's word has the potential if we, if we, if we hide it. Deep in our hearts, if we, if we don't, because I, I trust me this morning, and I say this specifically because this, this is such a cultural ill. It's a, disease, it's a spiritual disease in our culture, which is greed and covetousness. And we are so wealthy in the global economy. There's not a person in this room that's not rich in the global economy. And... And that the potential of that, the resources that God has entrusted into our hands, trust me, he has purpose for, uh, oftentimes gets squandered or misused or abused or self-consumed rather than used for the intention for which it was given. Is that true? Right? And, uh, and when that takes place, oh, I, I, I believe, you know, like that's strong word, like, Fool? I don't want heaven to ever call me that, right? We want to be wise, serpents, innocent as, as doves. And so um, I just warn, I warn our, our hearts, my heart, as this text again gets planted in us, that we would be careful not to let the worries of this world, the deception of wealth, and the pursuit of pleasure choke out the seed. Because there is, there's adjustments that we all need to make as it relates to this text. So here's some questions. What is the Lord's perspective on greed? 
What's his perspective on greed? Are you a hoarder or a distributor of God's gifts? And let me assure you that money is not one of the more precious gifts of God. Time, people, the the gift of God himself, right? But but does God have intention about what we should do with worldly wealth? Does God have direction for us in his word on these things? It seems that God has the final say on distribution in this text, right? Like, if you're not going to distribute it, when you're gone, I'll redistribute it, right? So that, because, I, I mean, I think we're, God's resourcing his kingdom through his kingdom kids. And, and sometimes, does greed ever play a role of, of quenching that, that purpose? And so... Another question, what is the balance between saving and generosity? Is God generous? Is he lavish with, with his good gifts, love, his son, his mercy? His, as John pointed out last week, is he lavish in grace? What does it mean to be rich towards God? What should be our attitude as Believers, according to God's word, what should be our attitude about money? Stewards, maybe, versus owners? And, and if we're stewards, then who really gets to determine how we, how we use it? And if we do it according to his will and way and purpose and plan, do you believe that when God gives you something, he's, he's already got a plan for that? And that if we use it, and, and I'm talking about the vast gifts of God, like if we use it according to his will, do you think that pleases him? Because that's a step, that's a statement of faith. What does our checkbooks and our spending habits say about our priorities? Do they have, do they have a statement? I think so. Well, let's dive into the text. Verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, what's the word say? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so this seems, from me, my perspective, it seems like a disrespectful demand, right? Um, But what we have to understand is that in culture, going to a rabbi and asking a rabbi to solve a a, a personal dilemma was was a common thing, right? This is what you do. Now, I want to draw a conclusion here that I think is rich. Jesus said something very interesting when they were grieving Um, his statements of departure, uh, Jesus said to him, look, it's better that I go that he, who's the he? The Holy Spirit might come, right? He's going to do an internal work and this is going to go, you're going to do greater things. This is going to go as well as far as span, this is going to go greater than even the scope of my ministry because now I'm going to plant my kingdom in you. I'm going to plant my heart in you. I'm going to plant my my spirit in you, right? But, but when we see Jesus kind of interacting with people, uh, especially in moments of greed or, or, or pride or arrogance, um, we, we see how he kind of seems, even with, like with a rich young ruler, right? You know, what, what, what good thing must I do, must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, 
uh, obey all the commands. I mean, that's what he eventually gets to. And he says, oh, I've done that since I was a little boy. Really? Wow. It's impressive. You know, and then he says, okay, then, then this is what you need to do. You need to sell everything you got because that's what's got your heart. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. He walked away from the giver of life. I mean, Jesus, is, Jesus ans- answers his question. He, he starts off, well, well, good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Like, do, are you getting it here? Do you realize that I'm God? Is that, that's what he's saying. And he didn't. He didn't understand the precipice, the, 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 the threshold of this moment and its gravity. J- Jesus was inviting him into himself. And he treasured wealth more than he did him. And so what I find here in this moment is, as we get into Jesus' response, is Jesus addresses his heart. And a lot of times when Jesus is having interactions and conversations with people, it seems like he's not even answering their question. But he gets right, he sees their heart and gets right there. And gets right in, especially a conversation with Nicodemus, we see this. And so... Um, what I want to point out is this is the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit now in our lives. Right? This is what the Holy Spirit does for you and I. Don't, don't you experience that ministry that when you're under God's word and there's an area of your life that's not completely sanctified yet, um, that, you know, that you feel the tweak. You feel like that the, the, he, he addresses your heart, your motive, and he says, this is, this is where we need to make some correction and adjustments. The Holy, the Holy Spirit often does that too. And that truly is the solution, right? I mean, why, why, why answer this question? That really is irrelevant. The, the real problem is your heart. And let's talk about that. So Jesus in 1214 goes on to say, and he said to the man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, what is Jesus saying here? I think that you could preach this in, in itself. What he's saying is, this is not my purpose. I've not been assigned to this. This is not what God has called me to do. Will people put demands on us that are not God's mission for our lives? Right? Will, will there be expectations uh, made upon you? And Jesus kind of just says, look, this, this is, he knew who he was. He knew where he came from, where he was going. He knew the Father. And if he didn't know, what did he do? He climbed a mountain. He, he became set apart so he could hear from the Father, so he could know. But he knew this wasn't his task, and he just said. And then he turns back to specifically his disciples, but to the crowd, and uses this as an object lesson. And this is the statement he makes. He said to them, take care and be on your guard Guys, are you on guard against greed and covetousness? Like, or are... Last week, the text was, like, if, if we wish to be friends with the world, that we make ourselves enemies. That's what the text says. James 1, 4 through 10. Look at it. It's like, if we wish to be friends with the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. God doesn't want us to be at odds with him. It says, take care. Take care, Jesus says. 
I, I would love to see, can you imagine his, his inflection, his, his passion here? Like, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's where, that's not what makes life abundant, is having more stuff. Like, it's, it's not about acquiring things. If anything, it's about giving, not getting. It's not about being a consumer, but being a distributor, right? You know, there was a man, a wealthy man in our American history, and he was asked this question. He was asked, like, how much is enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. And we got to be careful we don't share that mentality So here are some thoughts and questions related to this moment. Jesus, first of all, does not enter into this conflict. That's interesting. Jesus speaks to the real issue and problem here. And then we have to ask the question, what is covetousness? Well, listen, covetousness has two sides, and and they're both dark. And they're both present in in our lives if, if we're not careful. And if we don't uh, identify them, they can become very um, destructive. Okay, so um, are you a spender or a saver? Right? In most cases, we can fall in one of those two categories. Well, let me say this. A spender is looking to acquire, like, to, you know, you, you kind of get a, a little bit of a thrill out of, what do they call it? Um, um, shopping therapy? What do, what do they call Retail therapy, right? So they, they, you know, we, it's just, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an emptiness, there's a longing, you feel lack, so you go out and get more, and then you feel, right? And, and this, this, this is an identity crisis. Like, we haven't found our, our sense of value in him, and now we're trying to make sure that we have enough because somehow our identity is tied to our stuff. Right, And so we continue to buy more because what happens to the stuff we bought a few years ago, it's either no longer trendy or it's decayed. Right? And this is what happens. Listen to what Jesus says here on this issue in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, don't miss this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. I mean, ask yourself this question on a regular basis. What do I treasure? And you know what? We can be blind to our own faults, right? So ask other people, right? Or look at your day timer and your, and your, and your checkbook, and it'll give you some clear indicators of what is priority, like, it's amazing. We'll spend massive amounts of money on our sports team and, and the paraphernalia and the tickets and the tailgating and the, you know, like, like what we love, we don't have, I mean, we'll spend lots of money on ourselves, right? And we'll tip God. Thanks, thanks, God, right? I mean, like, like we, gotta be, we, gotta, we gotta be willing to look at these things and be honest with ourselves about that. Are we being rich towards God? Because we, what we truly treasure is where we really spend our time and money, right? And so Jesus speaks to that. Now the saver, right? The saver is another side of covetousness because we're trying to create some sense of security. Like, 
And, and here's where it kind of gets real practical. In this parable, what happens is it says a rich man, right, has a bumper crop. That's how First 13 opens up, right? So I'm going to just say this blanketly. The truth is, in the global economy, we're all rich right here today, right? Spiritually, if you're, if you're in Christ... <laughs> You're, you're wealthy, <laughs> right? And, uh, but what I want to say is, is that this is a person that is already rich. And then God's grace continues to abound to him. And now he's, he's been given more now discretionary resources. So let me ask you a question. Because we know what he, he does, right? When you have just some money that gets thrown your way, unexpected, now discretionary dollars. What's your first thought? Oh, I'm going to go buy a, I'm going to go get a, or I'm going to save covetousness, right? I mean, what's an ideal mindset there? God has blessed me, right? Because his, his approach says, fool, like when you're trying to find your life in possessions or your security in your savings, or you're trying to amass resources so that you can have some degree of ease and, and not trust God in those elements, then, you know, so is, is money the problem? No, money's not the problem, right? It's our hearts. It's our hearts. We're told in 1 Timothy 6 that it's the love of money that is the root to all kinds of evil. Right? But naked we came into this world, naked we will depart. Like, you can't take it with you. There's, we can't pull the U-Haul behind the hearst. Right? Like, it's, it stays here and it doesn't, it, it, it's not eternal. And so that's why God says, fool. Like, this is foolish. And, and oh, that we would not follow the same path. Right? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, right? So, next thought. Media seems to constantly solicit more. Should we be careful about being in front of that kind of stuff? Because none of us is, is immune to that. I mean, they spend billions of dollars to, to, to know how to solicit your interest in their product, should we be careful about being in front of those things? For the eye is the lamp to the soul. You know, if your eye is healthy, full of light. So another thought, Jesus has a different perspective, a different truth here. Should we not share his truth? Share his perspective, even if it is at odds with... Guys, let me just say this. Is these teachings on money, if there's an issue on any level, you're not going to like it. They're going to rub you a little bit, right? I mean, but, but don't you know that the truth sets you free? Don't you believe that if I can trust God's word and walk it out? Like, like listen, a lot of people say all oh, the tithe, that's Old Testament. Now we, you know, we, you know, we give as we've been given. That's true, right? All that's true. But, but remember, the, the, the tithe precedes the law. Abraham understood that. Abel understood that. Right? Like, and God said to, in Malachi, the last prophet spoke and he said this. He said, you're all under a curse because you're robbing me. What? 
We're robbing you? What are you talking about? He says, bring the whole, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that you can't contain it. And, and because you're robbing me in this way, that's why your trees are casting their fruit. That's why things, things are, are falling apart financially for you. Listen, God doesn't want your money. That's not the principle here. God wants your heart, right? And, and when we give God our first and best like Abel did and, and Abraham did, when we give him our first and best, no matter, I love that it's percentage, right? And it doesn't mean that the other portion of what God has entrusted to us doesn't have earmarks for things that are kingdom. Absolutely. But God has also promised to provide for his kids and to take care of our needs. But the problem is our, our, our wants and needs, we don't, sometimes contentment eludes us. Does that make sense? Right? And, and when we come to a place of contentment and we can be can not just when we can be content, happy with what we have now, we realize that I have so much to give. And we can be generous like God is, and that's what he wants his kids to do in a context of the world where they value money so much, you now have, re you have the resource of their treasure to, to build equity in relationships in order to show them a different way and show them what the true treasure is in life. So are you being rich towards God in your living, right? Don't miss this. Life is not measured by what you have, is what Jesus is saying. Just another way of saying it, but like, doesn't it help us to hear it that way? Like the world's gonna tell you like what you have determines how valuable you are and and who you are, but that's, okay, so just to, just to really confront that mentality, which if we're not honest, um, is, is present in, in our culture, in our paradigm. Look at Jesus' life and ministry. Did he own a home? Could he have? Could he have been born in a palace? Like sometimes we think that Jesus was just like given a lot and that was, he was stuck and it was like, and he wanted something different. He didn't want anything different. He was, he, was, he embraced that. He, he, he embodied that. He, he lived an example for us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, this is what it says. It says this, Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that you might become rich. Can I say that again? For though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that he might, so that you might experience the riches of heaven and the glory of God and the presence of his Father. And so, like, you know, it's interesting to me that Jesus never gave anybody money. He handed guy back a coin and says, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's, right? But he never, he never, he never gave, and look, please understand, he could have just ran around and gave people money. Right? He could have said, hey, here's a thousand, take care, you know, or here's a denarii, here's a million denarii, whatever, you know, a talent, whatever. But like, that's not what he did because he didn't want us to do it. Right? He didn't want us to, to feel, like, to, to, to communicate that, that this, is, this is how things get fixed. This, this, is, this is where you find your hope and security and, and if you have a little more and, and pursuit and, 
And so Jesus, like, he, he didn't have a home. He trusted God. That's challenging. Like, I, I, want, I want to read a passage from the early church that, that I think is so, so refreshing. Um, now, you know, this is on the other side of Pentecost. Um, the church is living in, in rich, intimate community. And, uh, and in chapter 4, verse 32, this is what it says. All the believers were one in heart and in mind. No one claimed, listen to this, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. Um, money is not the problem. It's not the problem here. It's not the problem here. Here. It's a heart issue. Have you, have you given money too much credit? I know that's a play on word. That was intentional. But like, have you given, him, given money too much credit? Listen, I'll ask it this way. If I had X amount of dollars, I would be happy. I would be more generous. I would serve more. I would be more content. Have you ever been guilty of that mentality? That mindset? Right? Like, what is the world in desperate need of? Him. And when Jesus met need in desperation in most cases, what did he do? Did he give them money? No, he gave them the Father. He gave them truth himself. He gave them love. He gave them his attention. Right? And so Jesus says that we will hate one and love the other when it comes to money and God. This is from uh, Matthew 6, 24. It says, you will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and mammon, the God of money. You cannot love both God and money. Like, I mean, talk about like, like th this is extremes, right? Like if you love this one, you're gonna hate this one. If you're devoted to this one, you're gonna despise this one because they're always gonna be at odds, like in your priorities. Do you love money? What would you do for it? I've seen people sell their soul for money. I've seen people make life-changing decisions for money. And if we do have money and gain more, what is the default response? And I know I already kind of mentioned this, but that's really where the parable gets at here, right? When, when there's resources that come in your hands, what's your first thought? That maybe if you do it unto uh, the least of these, you've done it unto me. Maybe that's where I can be rich. So listen to the parable again and listen specifically because it's interesting what Jesus highlights here. 16 to 19 says, and he told them a parable saying that a, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So let me first ask a question. Who's responsible for that plentiful harvest? God is, right? Who brings the sun and the rain, right? Like God brings the, the fruit, right? And, uh, and does he have any sense of thanksgiving here or orientation of gratitude? Right? And he thought to himself, that doesn't sound like prayer. Okay, I'm just confronting that particular moment. You know, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Like he thought to himself, pronoun, look for those, there's quite a few. What shall I do? For 
I have nowhere to store, what's it say? My, My crops. This is the problem, right? Did I read the passage for you in, in uh, Acts 4? No one considered anything as their own. It was, it was all his. You know, I, I challenge you this morning to change your nomenclature, your, your vocabulary. Like, get away from mine and I and replace it with his and, and ours. I mean, it, it's challenging because the moment you start thinking in those terms... You start going, whoa, you, your covetousness starts, <laughs> you feel, oh, my security starts being, being confronted, you know, like, well then, well, I have enough, and, right? So it says, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops, and he said, I will do this. No consideration for God's purpose here. I will tear down my, whose barns? my barns and build larger ones and there I will store my grain and my goods. Do you think Jesus is being hyper-intentional here in telling this story this way, right? This parable. And I will say, not to God, to myself, I will say to myself, soul, or he says, I will say to, uh, I will say, to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This sounds like a retirement plan. I don't know. And listen, let me say this. Um, saving is a biblical principle. So let me, let me be clear about that. The problem is that we, we want more, that we're not content, right? And uh, l- let me give you an example. Uh, you familiar with Colgate? Okay, the, 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 the man that started Colgate, it was actually, uh, he started with soap back in 1807. His name is William Colgate. And, um, and, and his first endeavor failed, uh, but he persevered. And what changed him was a Bible verse that he read. And he was a devout Christian. And this Bible verse clearly indicated in his heart that he was to persevere in this. And he did. And his name endures today, which there's, there's a lesson in that alone. But let me tell you what Colgate, uh, he was the pioneer of this principle. Um, he endeavored to be a reverse tither. What I mean is, he, he endeavored to, 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 to eventually give away 90% and live on 10%. Okay? And do you know by increasing his giving to the kingdom of God, that Colgate, many years before he died, was a reverse tither. Because he knew what enough was. And he found, you know, we're, we're given a, a, a mantra of Jesus that's not even in the Gospels in the book of Acts. And we're told this is what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to... And, and man, <laughs> he, and there are, there are many that have followed him in this. And, and when, when you read about his story and his heart behind it, he just kept giving more. And he actually lost, if you read the story, he lost sight of the whole goal. And he just, it, was, it was just more about being rich towards God and God's will and God's way. And, and, and really, but you know, the other thing I see in this passage is this, um, and I believe this great intention. So in the English, there's 11 pronouns. You can count them. 
um, and, and arguably 12, but um, with myself. But um, when you go to the Greek that's very specific, there is 12 pronouns. There is 12 I and my. Can I, can I jump ahead to a verse? Mary, if you would forgive me. I, I just, um, I, I want to I read this. And I, I don't promise not to read it again. This is the, the last one in our slides, Mary. So um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, it says, As for the rich in this present age, and this is what Paul is charging the young leader of the church, Timothy, his protege, charge them not to be haughty, prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything, what does it say? To enjoy. Do you know that God, God, God wants you, he wants to give you good gifts. He's a good father, right? But he doesn't want to give you things that are going to not be your possessions, but possess you. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Speaking to rich in this present age, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that good? Isn't that great counsel coming from Paul in this circumstance? Well, based on our parable this morning, I have a few questions for you. What is responsible I already asked this question. So who's responsible for the plentiful crop, right? It's the Lord. But yet there's no orientation towards him. Guys, who is responsible for the glorious gifts in your life? If you count them, they're beyond your capacity, right? Like all the good things that God has given to you, all the things he's entrusted, the way he's always taking care of you, right? Is our orientation to have a heart of gratitude? Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. Is the Lord gracious towards us? Right? Should, doesn't he want us to learn from that, that, that personal experience that this is what he wants us to be in every other aspect of life? His, his greed, speaking of the guy in this parable, excludes gratitude towards the Lord. Do you give as you've been given? This is a New Testament concept of giving, right? Are you living a life of gratitude and generosity? Another question, are you investing in your kingdom or his kingdom? Whose kingdom are you investing in? What do you do with the first and best? That's always a, an incredible indicator of what you truly worship and serve, right? What do you do with the first and the best that God puts in your... I mean, right down to children, we're, 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 we're called to dedicate the first and best, right? With no eternal perspective, the man's life was completely focused on the temporal. So are you focused on the temporal or the eternal, because when we're challenged to store for ourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and where thieves do, do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also like... That, that's, an, that's an eternal investment that makes a statement of faith every time that you exercise your, your gift-giving, your generosity. So what does this teaching 
say or, or teach about saving and retirement, right? I, I'm going to leave, leave you to discern that and let the Holy Spirit guide. Because, I mean, we know that consider the ant, that whole principle that's given by Solomon, there's room for saving. Like God entrusts things to us for future need, right? And we, but we've got to be quick to determine what it is that God wants. So I, I, in my studies this week, I, I came across this thought. Preparing for life before death is wise. Preparing for life before death is wise, but neglecting life after death is disastrous. If you accumulate wealth only to enrich yourself with no concern for helping others, will you enter eternity empty-handed? No one can serve two masters, for you will either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, uh, Mary, go with me to, to uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, just a few um, slides back. 1 Timothy 6. So again, this is Paul talking to Timothy, uh, verses 5 to 12, and he is talking to Timothy again about contentment, about uh, worldly wealth, and he has this counsel for him. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And we have to ask ourselves, is that our attitude? Because we see in, 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 Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry, don't, don't worry. For like God clothes the grass with beautiful lilies, right? And he, he takes care of the birds. And aren't you more valuable than these, O oh, you of little faith? Right? He says, do this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you need and worry about will be added unto you. That's such good counsel. I mean, go figure, Jesus said it. Like it's, uh, it's we, we, God is, is promised to take care of our needs. But oftentimes our wants wander into covetousness, greed, and contentment on the intentionality of God's gifts. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. Is, is there a culture in the American culture that wants to be rich? Are, 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 are we being influenced? I mean, we're told in, in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might test and approve God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. And we're told here, but those who desire to, to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here it is, verse 10. For the love of money. Money is just... Yeah, I, I, I remember there's a prophet that is mocking Israel. And this is what he says to Israel. He's like, okay, th basically this is what you're doing. You're taking a log of wood, you're cutting it in half, and half of it you're using it to warm yourself. The other half you're carving into an image and worshiping it. What is, what is, what is money made of? Where does paper come from? How are we any different? Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just, it's just paper. We give it value when we, when we determine that it's a treasure. 
right? When God says, don't love it, love me, and then we'll use it to do what I intended and had purposed for it anyway. Like, does God want to entrust these things to you? I mean, greater things, for sure. Understanding his gospel, you know, all these crazy precious things, right? But but if if it's going to harm you, or get in the way of your, his relationship with you, do you think that that might be a reason that we don't receive those things? But if we can, tr- if we can truly see it for what it is, then I've seen there's been many occasion of many people that have, have managed and stewarded his resources and done it for his glory, and it's been, it's been a blessing to many. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Finally, verse 20 says, but God said to him, but God, my father said to this, this man, this approach, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared for yourself, whose will they be? So some questions. Who determines your future? You or God? What God has entrusted into your hands, do you think he has intention for those things? Why should we ask him? What will the Lord say to you on that day? Does how we treat worldly wealth matter? I think it does. I think Jesus said, watch out. Be on guard. And the issue is not money. It's our hearts. Isn't God good that he gives us resources, grace, love, truth? money like he gives us things that we get to be more blessed to give than to receive like to to be and like we get to be generous like because he's given it to us for that for that purpose verse 21 says so it is to so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards god what does it mean to make a move here what does it mean to make a shift here What does it look like? What is the Holy Spirit counseling your heart to do as it relates to these things? Man, look, God is is pursuing your heart and then he wants to use you with every resource he gives you in order to change the world and to love them into his presence. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 again because it's just, we need to hear this. Okay, this is our last text. Listen to what this says. For as, for as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set your hopes on him who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Ready to share. I like that thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
That sounds like a good financial plan. Are you preparing for eternity? Who are you investing in? You? Him? His kingdom? Those around you? Evaluate your financial plans. Do that. Don't walk away from here and simply be a hearer this morning and not make some adjustments that the Holy Spirit will empower into perfection. Right? Like, so here's the big idea. As the worship team comes uh, for our final time together, and please, if, if, if it's not, we sing a last song because, from, from my perspective, from my heart, so that you have time to sit and really listen, pray, um, make application to what it is, because we can quickly walk away from this moment, and this, can, this, this truth can leave us. And if you look at the parable of the sower and the seed, Man, we know the enemy does not want this to find fertile soil in our hearts. To, 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 I mean, he doesn't mind that you hear it, but he doesn't want you to put it to practice, right? Because that's when things, that's when we change and, and others change. Because, but, but here's the big idea. Hoarding money without compassionate giving regarding property as one's own, not God's, or basing security on possessions rather than God's provisions are all examples of spiritual poverty, not being rich towards God. Being rich towards God means using wealth as he provides, as he provides it to fulfill his priorities. Amen? Amen. I love you guys so much. Let's live out God's word, huh? Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.